Welcome to Grown Up. I'm Laura Blair. And I'm Abby Blairs. And this week we're going to be talking about money. My favourite topic. How can we get more money? How can we be smarter savers? Are pensions a total waste of time? Why does my accountant tell me to remain as a sole trader and not, not set up a limited company? We have so many questions. Today's guest is Claire Sweet. Claire, in her, her own words, helps female CEOs create gintastic future plans. Gintastic. I like her already. Exactly. Claire trained as a pharmacist and then had a career change becoming a financial advisor and money coach. She's been featured on the BBC and in The Telegraph, The Mirror and many, many more publications that we won't bore you with. I think she's going to be great purely and simply because she keeps a herd of alpacas in her garden. <laughs> Let's get started. I love an alpaca. <laughs> so could you begin by telling us a little, little bit about the type of people that you help and explain why you particularly like to work with women? So I work mainly with business owners, albeit I do work with other people as well, but I think business owners is where I have the most impact. And I just love seeing that light bulb moment when they finally understand what they're doing with their money and they can make some sensible choices. Did you work with small businesses? I've got a range of people. So from people who are just setting up in business all the way through to six-figure business owners, because surprisingly, people who are earning more money haven't necessarily got things any more sorted out. It just means that when they get the little dips, they don't notice it quite so much because there's more money sat in the account. Yeah. So what kind of issues do you think that women have with money? Like, do men and women have different issues or is it pretty much the same across genders? I think a lot of it's the same. Where the big difference comes is that I think women are less confident typically to talk about money. Um, they may have grown up in a household where their mum may or may not have worked and had her own money because, you know, we are probably yeah. the first generation yeah, sure. of people where both parents go out to work. You know, when I was a kid, it was quite normal that people's mums stayed home, yeah. um, which means often they didn't have a handle on their finances because they didn't need to. And I think we're now seeing women needing to take charge. And there are so many women now who are the main earner in their family yeah. um, or people that are actually going out there on their own. A lot of women never get married. And, and those that do, you, you know, this right? <laughs> well, the thing is, I mean, we, we know about, you know, how many people get divorced and how many people stay single. And actually, there's, you know, there is a statistic that says that 90 percent of women are going to have to manage their own money at some point in their life. Yeah. And, you you know, you can't rely on somebody else to do it because otherwise when it all hits the fan, you're not in control of it and you're not in control of what happens to you. Yeah, because my mum always used to pay. No, my dad used to always pay all the bills in our house. What was what was it like in your house? I ain't got a clue. <laughs> you don't ask, do you? I ain't got a clue. As a kid, you don't know because things just happen at home and bills get paid. You have somewhere to live. You have food on the table and... I think until you start earning your own money, you don't even know how much things cost. I would hate to not have that control over my finances. I'd hate to have to ask a man if I could have money. That's my worst Oh, yeah, like when, if you're a housewife and your husband gives you, like, pocket money. Yeah. I know, it's That's like going back to the 1950s, you know. And <laughs> it is, and it's that scary thing that, you know, if you're going to take charge of your life, and especially if you're going to run a business, you actually are managing all the money in your business why shouldn't you do the household stuff as well and I think you know women are clever enough to organize their money and it doesn't have to be scary it seems like for me that it's a lot of energy like when I listen to your podcast the last podcast you were on is it Astor or something yeah. like that mm -hmm. there was a lot of talk about um making a spreadsheet or a budget planner and my first thought was like a budget planner like what's that and also planning stuff like that for me is like it's just really boring we were saying i just i didn't ever look at my bank account and i just hope for the best yeah. and with, with <laughs> yeah. that mindset it kind of always works <laughs> and, and that's I the thing think there'll be money in there and, and there for is. some people there is but for other people there's not and the thing is 
yeah, I keep a spreadsheet, but I like numbers. It's my job. It's yeah. what I do. Um, for a lot of people, it doesn't need to be that. You know, I mean, a budget planner is a really useful place to start, but you can just do it on a bit of paper. All we're talking about is making sure that when you're spending each month, you've got more money coming in than you're spending on stuff. Because if you routinely spend more than you earn, you're going to dig yourself into a hole. Yeah. So it doesn't need to be complicated. I mean, yeah, you can go through your bank statements or if you want an up-to-date record of what you spend, you know, you can go through and, and keep it all on a spreadsheet. But if you look at your bank statement and most of it is sort of like late night Ubers and, and just eat deliveries, then actually you're going to be able to see me. quite easily. <laughs> I think it seems to be me. the thing for people who live in London. It's just like, oh, okay, it's just easy and it's quick and we can just pay with a card. And because of that, you can lose track of your spending. It is a lot easier now that it's on your phone, isn't it? It, feel, it doesn't even feel like money anymore. No. I've had a £50 note in my purse for a year. I've never used it. I forget it's there because like, you just don't use cash anymore, do you? Well, yeah, but do you know what? A lot of people say that actually, in terms of money mindset, and I'm not one of these sort of woo-woo people that just thinks you can imagine it and the universe would bring it because otherwise I'd be, you know, with me. (laughs) That is me as well. And it's like, yeah, you know, you'll be fine. Well, I would be be sat here with um, George Clooney and a jar of chocolate spread if you could just imagine and things come true. You know, George Clooney? Definitely. He's just lovely. But there we are. No one, my boyfriend. Aww. <laughs> That's the right answer. <laughs> you're still a loud one. Um, but no, seriously, I mean, it's good to have a really clear vision of where you're headed, but ultimately you're going to have to take action to do something. I remember when I had a, I always go, always go on about that. One time I had a job in an office for four months. Yeah, she does every week. <laughs> one time I had a job. I had a budget because I, I knew I was getting a set amount of, paid each month yep. and then I knew my rent was a certain amount and knew my travel was a certain amount and then after all that after food as well I had £50 for me and I never went over that £50 but that's a budget planner you've done it but you've just done it in your head exactly that and it's it's like in the old days you know what your mum would have done would be balance the checkbook you'd have had a look to see how much money's come in take off the cost of all your bills and direct debits what's left and that's got to last us through until we get paid again whether that's one income or two incomes it doesn't have to be complicated but what I find with a lot of people, especially younger people, is it's very easy to buy things and things soon add up. And when you're looking down, yeah. and you realise what you pay on your mobile phone and then you've got mm. you know, a Netflix subscription and then you've got money for a this and money for that. And brands are so naughty these days. There's this new thing, it's called Klarna. Have you heard of it? No. It's where they let you pay over a year or three months for something like for clothes and stuff. So more and more youngsters who don't really understand it are getting themselves into all these subscriptions. Phones are the worst. That's the same as having a credit card though, right? Is that Or the, the, same, or the same as getting a catalogue. So in the old days, you'd get a catalogue like Next or, or wherever. And yeah, you'd pay for it monthly. And people would say, oh yeah, well, I've just got these boots and they're only costing me like £3 a week. And you're like, yeah, but that's £12 a month. And how many months are you paying for, for yeah. these boots? And yeah. you'd have been cheaper to go and buy them somewhere else. No, that's something I don't do. I don't. I have a credit card purely because I didn't have a credit rating because I didn't have a credit card because I didn't need a credit card. So I got a credit card and now I just pay for my gym mm. on my credit card so that I have a credit rating. I would know, but I know a lot of people love a credit card and they have like huge debts, don't they? They just yeah. rack up a debt. There's a couple of reasons why I'd use a credit card um, and it's always useful to have one. The first one is that people's banks do fail. And it was all over the news a couple of years ago. I think NatWest had a problem. TSB had a problem. People couldn't go and get any money out on their cash card and they couldn't use their debit card. And if you've got a credit card with another bank, at least if you go to a petrol station and you filled your car up and you can't use your debit card, you've got an alternative. What was that one that closed down years ago? Was it Bank of North... 
Scotland. Some uh, there was a bank that closed down and everyone lost their money. Mm. There was issue with Northern Rock. That was the but, one. But um, I mean, in the end, a lot of that got bought out because, in terms of what the government did to bail it out, they sort of dealt with most of that. But it's more to do with access for your money. Is that a key thing to have your money in different banks? Only if you've got loads. You're insured up to £85,000. Unless you've got loads and loads of money, no. then you can keep it in one bank. For most, for most people, one bank is fine. But the only problem is, if you've got it all in one bank, and then, for example, say you do have a problem with that card, you know, what if you, you sit on it and it snaps and you can't use it? Then you, have, <laughs> then, you know, you might not have a way to pay. So yeah, I thought that was great. I lost my card and it still worked on my phone. Yeah. It's fantastic. You don't need your card anymore. It just, just makes it easier. And the other thing that's really good, I mean, you can use a credit card and pay it off each month. So some people do that to get points or get air miles or get cash back or, or whatever. Um, and if you're buying a big purchase of so something over £100, if you put it on your credit card, you're insured even if the company goes bust including holidays, including all sorts of yeah. things. Uh, so yeah. anything that's risky. Yeah, so it's worth doing it. If it's a big purchase, if you're going to buy yourself a dishwasher and it's 400 quid or whatever it is, put it on the credit card. Even if you go straight home and pay it off from your bank, the fact that it's been on the card yeah. means that actually if you have a problem and you can't claim against the retailer, that actually the credit card company will give you yeah. your money back. I knew that. I get my so, mum to do that for me. <laughs> I have this thing with money. I don't know if it's how I've been brought up or just my mindset, but I'm almost... Because maybe I came from a background where I really had to work to get where I am. When it's when it's in my bank, I don't like to touch it or move it. Or people keep telling me to put it in an ISA, and I'm Do like, Do not put money in an ISA. I, like, I don't want to touch it. So is it all in your current account? I don't, I don't know where it is. It's just somewhere, <laughs> and I just I don't want to touch it. Must it must be in your current account if you've not moved it. Well, then, yeah. No, I think it's in a savings account. I don't even know the difference. But it depends on what you want to do, use your money for and what you're going to do with it. Nothing. Okay. I just like looking at it. Okay, so. <laughs> it's one of those wrong weird with that, people you know, it's that, that won't spend any money. No, it just it likes is. to watch their money. Look after me, Dad. <laughs> you're going to get like, little <laughs> pints of it, like little gold coins in piles on a table and collect them. and no, just. I prefer to look at it in my bank account and see anything for it yeah but you know it's i'm scared to invest like maybe in a house or maybe put it into an isa or shares but once it's in an isa you can get it out it's not i don't think no you can oh well you see it depends on what you're doing so so i've got an isa that i can pull it back out of there's different types of isas so you've got two main types you've got a cash isa which is going to be held by your bank or building society and you can put the money in you can take it out whenever you want you can put up to 20 grand a year in it In the old days, these were really good because the interest was all tax-free and it was quite a good place to put it because it was quite a good rate. But now, if you're putting your money in a cash ISA, you're probably getting less interest than you would if you left it either in your current account or your savings account. So say, for example, if you bank with somebody like Lloyds Bank, you get more interest in their current account than you do their savings account. So actually moving the money out isn't always the best thing. Isn't it only like 100 quid that you get interest on? Like, it depends. You don't make much money from interest. All, right? the, all the banks are different. Give me much. No, I'll show you my thing. I <laughs> want you to tell me what to do. <laughs> the thing is, I mean, all the all of them are different, and I mean, some bank accounts will pay three, five percent interest on your balance up to fifteen, twenty grand. You know, you get seven or eight pound a month interest, which is actually for just having your money there, isn't bad. For me, the nervousness of moving it is not worth the price. <laughs> 
Is that bizarre? But in a cash ISA, yeah. it's still just as safe as having it in a bank account. There's no investment risk. There's no risk like of losing your money. It. I feel like, what if it gets lost in the transaction? Oh. <laughs> you're going to be someone who goes into a branch and asks a lady to do it for you, aren't you? You're Probably. not going to want to do it online. Probably. And but you'll also, be filming her, so you've got the evidence that it was done. Taking a photo is, and saying it was you. There's <laughs> so much like talk about the help to buy ISA at the moment. People keep telling me to do it. It's the 31st of November is the cut-off date, isn't it? Yep. And what would be the benefit of that? Well, the thing about a help to buy ISA is that you put money in and effectively you get a government bonus for putting money in it. So if you are looking to buy a house at some point in the future, it can be good. But there are restrictions on who can use them and how much money you can put in. And also you can't, you can't use it if you're buying it to rent it out no okay so that's what i'd want to do yeah. i mean there are other types of ices I and mean, there are ices which are um they contain stocks and shares and, and things and they've got different risk ratings so you don't necessarily have to go for something very risky but they will grow your money for the longer term so when you look at what to do with your money the key thing you've got to think about is am i going to want to use this money in the next five years or not if you're going to, because you might want to buy a car or go on like holiday, you can't know, or can something, you? you might need it. But well, it depends on what your plan is, yeah. and that's where you should always have some of it in a cash ISA or a savings account or a current account for those emergencies. For you know, when you go off sick and you need money to pay bills, or you want to pay for a holiday, or your car breaks down, or your boiler blows up, or stuff like that. But if you're putting money away for the future, for the longer term, so that you know, at some point you might want to retire or work less hard, even. Um, retire <laughs> but exactly but that's why we say about working less hard to be fair because a lot of people now if you're doing the job you love you don't want to hang your boots up at 65 you want to carry on yeah. but you might be more fussy about who you choose to work with which means that you might put in fewer hours take more holidays and actually earn a bit less so you're going to want to top your income up and you can put money away for the future for things like that and it doesn't have to be pensions it can be ISAs people get buy to let properties like you talked about or have a business that's hands off that they can still draw income even though they're not working yeah. Do you know what really bothers me i think london, living in london absolutely screws you over oh my god yeah for many reasons but one of them is for a londoner to get on the property ladder first of all your rent is ridiculous it's bigger than any double like my rent is double my sister's mortgage and she's got a massive house up north like i've got a one bed tiny flat in chelsea and you can't say if we wanted to buy and get on the property ladder you can't so say if i bought a house up north mm -hmm. put a deposit down i can't rent that out for two years isn't that crazy why yeah. can't you i thought you couldn't no not at all talk no. to me <laughs> <laughs> i thought you couldn't no not at all so the key thing is if you're buying a property that you're going to rent out is that you need to buy it with that in mind. You buy it as a buy-to-let property. So you need double the double the deposit. You typically need 25% deposit, but it depends on where you're investing. So, I mean, I've got a client who invests in and around Doncaster. Most of the properties he buys are around £50,000. And I'm not being funny. 50000 Yeah, people yeah, in yeah. London oh. buy an Audi for that. Oh, you know, my goodness. And that's it. But that means that your 25% deposit, you only need twelve and a half grand. You oh don't need gosh. as much as you think. Wait. So, so am I right in thinking to buy a house you need 10% deposit if you're a normal person you're going to live in it? Not necessarily. You can do it with 5% and you can do it but with less if your parents have got a house with equity in it. Did they stop the 5%? No. Not every lender offers it. Okay. But that's where if you speak to a financial advisor who's looking at all the mortgages across the whole market, you'll get more options. A lot of banks, now if you go into a bank, they might say you have to have a 10 or 15% deposit because that's their choice. But there are lots and lots of different lenders out there, and well, they all do different it's hard things. If you're self-employed, they make that really hard for you. Yeah, they do. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we're screwed in every situation. 
being positive. Do you know what? That is a, quite a common misconception. Is and it? it's really funny because we've good. been covering this quite a lot this week in my Facebook group. Um, it's not necessarily any harder to get a mortgage if you're self-employed than you if you're employed. You I, just need to be able to prove your income. I really looked into this maybe two years ago mm-hmm. and they were like, you need two years self-employment books mm-hmm. to prove to get a mortgage but that would be fine otherwise some lenders want two years but there are those that will do it on less yeah there are some people um if you're a contractor and you're paid a day rate there are some lenders that will do it based on your contract there are some lenders that will base it on all sorts of different things if your credit score is high enough they might do it on one year's account do you know what i don't even got a clue what credit score is is that bad you've probably not needed to do it i've only ever heard it have you never tried never tried to to find out your credit rating mm. I've only heard it thrown about whenever I used to get like a phone contract. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you have a credit card? No. Okay. Is your phone on contract? No. Okay. Your so phone's not on contract. Wait, you pay as you go. The phone. But you pay as you go on. Oh no! So I must have. You're on contract. Yeah. So you will have one. It won't necessarily have loads on it. You can go online and check it. The two main ones are Experian and Equifax. They both do a free trial. Um, but if you don't cancel in 28 days, then you're going to pay somewhere between seven and ten pound a month. But you put your details in, and it will show you your credit file. It's definitely worth looking at, even if you're not planning to get credit for anything at the moment, because if somebody's put something on by mistake, the earlier you know about it, the earlier you can deal with it. So if you have, say, for example, you've got a well, if you've got a mobile phone and say, for example, at some point you've moved house and you've missed some payments, if you end up with it showing as as a default on your credit file that can affect you wanting to get a mortgage further down the line or getting a car loan or other stuff like that Mm. and often you don't know there's a problem with your credit file until someone tries to put you in a mortgage application and it gets turned down also when you move house you should register to vote Yep. That helps your credit rating. Yep. I, why is that? Because <laughs> it's in my bro, a lot of this we, stuff I'm like, we, what's, what's I that about? I got a warning that I had to register to vote. Yeah, you, you do. You do have to register if you want to vote, but even if you're not going to vote. Do for Emily Pankhurst to do it for her. Exactly. exactly. But there we are. It's, another girl, <laughs> it's a girl power thing, isn't it? I had the, the girls' grammar school thing where it was banged down, you know, you must vote, women I have died really, so you can yeah, do this. I feel and, yeah. really guilty if I don't. But no, in terms of electoral role, the reason it's important is that it shows to a lender that you're not afraid to be found. You've got your details listed on a public register. Can I tell you a scary story? (laughs) So in my flat... (laughs) We'll come back to that in a second. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about registering, some guy who was a villain... A villain? (laughs) A villain was registered at my flat Mm -hmm. before I moved in. And I woke up one morning in my dressing gown, opened the door, bright like not really being able to see to a giant seven foot man seven foot. with no ear a vest on and he was like this is a bulletproof vest and this is a camera asking for this guy who was registering his like car you end up on don't business. pay we'll take it away or something yeah, on the telly I was like, <laughs> would that affect my credit rate and i was like no. i'm laura i'm laura blair no, <laughs> i'm not a man i'm not the man you're like i can't for. even drive <laughs> Well, I'm not good. <laughs> no, I mean, there is a bit of a misconception that other people that live at your address can cause your address to be blacklisted and think, and it's not anything to do with that. I mean, yeah. if you think about it, somebody who's lending you money, they want to check that you can afford to pay it back. And that's why they ask you proof of income, because they want to know, actually, what does this person have as income? They also want to look at bank statements and think, well, how do you use your money? Are you always overdrawn? Are you always getting bank charges because you can't manage your money? Because if you're not good with the bit of money you've got, they're not going to lend you a couple of hundred thousand pounds to buy a house. Do you think property is the best place to invest your money? 
Fish whale, how long's a piece of string? I mean, the thing is, it depends. It's in different people's circumstances. A property can be a good way to invest your money. Certainly buying the home you live in yeah. rather than paying out for rent where yeah. you're just throwing money away. Yeah, at some point, I think probably most people in Britain probably aspire to buy their house. It's quite a cultural thing. You know, you mm. go to sort of Germany and other places and, and renting is quite normal. Whereas here, yeah, is people people do like to, to buy a property. But then you may well find that if you're going to do that, you'll end up moving somewhere that is commutable to London because the money that you'll yeah. save by doing it that way, especially now with, you know, like trains. I mean, I've come in on a high-speed train today that's now, you know, an hour from where I live. And, you know, there's a place halfway out, which is Ashford. Ashford has become a really sort of popular place for commuters to live because it's now only 30 minutes out on a mainline train. I'm going to look at Ashford now. I, it's <laughs> a bit of a dive. You wouldn't Doncaster necessarily want to live buy there. buy a house to rent and then go and live in. I say, is I don't try and commute from Doncaster. It's going to take you a very long time <laughs> to get in in the morning. But, you know, with people working remotely now and having the option of doing, you know, things virtually, you know, we're here in a studio today, but some podcasts I've been on, you know, they record oh, it home, virtually. Yeah. or they And that way... You could be doing it from wherever you wanted within the UK. The rate of self-employment is on the rise, isn't mm. it? It's going up and up and up. Which it's about flexibility. Yeah, I love not having to answer to someone. Which makes all the spreadsheeting so much more difficult because you don't know how much you're going to earn each month. Mine, for sure, differs completely. And you do a job and you have no idea when that paycheck's going to come in. So There's a couple of things you can do with that. So the key thing is to look at your money and your business money as two separate things. Okay. Pay yourself. So yeah. So if your business has an account that you use, doesn't need to be a business account unless you're a limited company. You can just use, you know, an old account that's been kicking around that you've never got around to closing. It's got like three quid in it that your mum set you up years ago. Do we all have them? everyone's got one of those, haven't they? Where it's like you bank with someone and every so often you get this statement through for a bank that you've haven't banked in since you were a kid and you've still got this yeah. bank statement. What the around. building what is it called? The building society yeah, or something. Or something like that. Yeah. So Use, yeah. <laughs> use a separate account for your business stuff. Have all the money that comes in from clients and people who pay you into that account and where you can spend out for all the things associated with work with that. So transport to work or kit you've got to buy or subscriptions you pay for, training, that type of thing. This Each t- month. This is taking a lot of organisation here. It's not because you've only <laughs> got to set it up once and once yeah. you've done it, it's sorted. Yeah. But if you gave all that in that account and then pay yourself a regular wage. Yeah. So pick an amount that's sustainable, even if it's only like 600 quid a month, and pay it to yourself every month leave the rest of the money sat in your business account and then it means if you get a month where there's less money in you've still got money there to pay yourself a regular salary yeah and then three months every six months have a look at it and think actually i'm building up a bit of a slush fund in my business account don't need a bit more let's put the payment up change the standing order go up to 800 pound a month or whatever put it up a couple of hundred pounds at a time but you're better to pay yourself a fixed thousand pound a month than to do 600 pound this month and the next month is two grand and then the month after is 300 quid and because you don't know whether you're coming or going yeah i hope you like me just hope for the best and actually if you can <laughs> get a regular income coming in and almost like pretend that you are employed you are employing yourself pay yourself a regular wage you'll find it so much easier do you know what was the best thing i ever learned which i actually really don't do <laughs> but i learned it <laughs> that as a self-employed person put 20 percent away yeah for the tax. Yep. I got whacked with the biggest tax bill of my whole entire life last year. They made me pay two years in one go. You have to pay one year and they have to pay half as much again for the next year. So that yep. was, I paid that and then you have to pay the other half. In July, yeah. Four months later. And I never knew that was coming. That was like a big shock. It's a big shock. The first year that you make profit, that is a big shock. Because is often it? when you start off in business, if you're not making a profit, you don't pay any tax. And then suddenly mm. that first year, 
Yeah, you, your first tax bill is one and a half times your tax with the second half due in July. And it's crazy because you obviously aren't earning that to pay it. So you have to be, have that. You have to have some element. Surplus of, somewhere. Yeah. Otherwise you're absolutely screwed. And I was in a lucky situation, but I presume a lot of people are shocked with that and then they're, they're screwed, right? It can be really hard. I mean, the biggest bit of self-discipline as a business owner is not spending too quickly. And there are lots of different strategies to do this. The simplest one, as you said, is literally as you get paid, put 20% of your money away for tax. And if you're VAT registered, you've got to put that away as well because that's not your money. Put it away into a separate savings account so that you're not going to touch VAT it. What's VAT registered? Is that something that happens when you get a limited company? Not necessarily. If you're earning more than £85,000 a year, you have to register yeah, to pay VAT. Yet. Yeah. So <laughs> most businesses, when you start, unless it takes off like a rocket, are not going to pay it in their first few years. Um, some businesses never do because they make sure that they've paid their income comes in just under the threshold because they don't want the pain in the backside of having to register for VAT and it's more paperwork yeah. and more money to pay and stuff. When I spoke to my accountant, because I'm starting to set up to do something on my own like mm -hmm. separate from what I'm already doing um, I said to him should I be a limited company or a sole trader like what's the difference and he pretty much said don't be, don't bother with being a limited company until you're earning over like 80,000 I think that's what he said not as much as that it's usually around 20,000 oh. so um, if you're earning 20,000 or more you'll pay less tax if you're a limited company in most cases he said it'll cost more your accountant will charge you a lot more so why would you pay and less he's my accountant you won't necessarily <laughs> you might need a new accountant um he won't okay. you won't Wait, necessarily do more how much are you meant to pay for an accountant it depends on what type of service you want it's like anything if you're self-employed like just self but, it, but there isn't because every situation is different um i mean if all you want your accountant to do is to put your tax return in for you you can get someone to do that for somewhere probably between three and six hundred pounds it depends on where you are in the uk and who you pick as an accountant yeah if you're looking for somebody that's going to give you advice as to how to grow and develop your business, how to minimise your tax liabilities and give you that sort of ongoing service, you're probably going to pay a bit more. But I mean, I'm a limited company and I think my accounts, I pay about £1,500 a year. It's not loads and loads, but the money that I spend on that, I save so much more than that than if I wasn't a limited company. Yeah. And you pay tax differently as a yeah. company than you do. I pay 300 for mine. Yeah, but you don't do anything really. No, if I'll all he's doing is if all you're doing is submitting your tax <laughs> yeah. return, effectively yeah. you can do that yourself. Yeah, if you're I good do at do it myself, then I just give it to him to literally copy paste. Yeah, but you can keep it on yourself. You don't need someone if you're going to do it. You know, if that's all you want is to put the tax return in. Mine's um, so difficult because with my job, it's like, what can I account for? Yeah, because a lot of things that I pay for my job is because I feel my life it's like such a blurred line and that's where getting some help and advice can help but yeah. what I would say is that you know a good accountant will save you more in tax than you'll ever pay them in a year oh, you know by a long way <laughs> um, but the thing is if you're paying tax it shows you're making a profit which means you're doing a good job yeah yeah you know it is a good thing a sign of success and if you don't pay taxes then I we haven't got any money first time this is why i think they should do taxes in school because i remember the first time i got a job i started working in harrods that was my first job and the first time i got a paycheck for you know your pay yep. slip yeah and the first few months i was like yeah i've got my money like i knew i got paid this much day and at the end it was like that was the total and then i think about six months in i was like Where, where's all the money gone like why have i got such a chunk taken out of it and then obviously i'd hit that margin of being yep. over 11 grand or whatever yeah 
and I didn't I never knew that they took it away <laughs> like I was so shocked why did no one warn me well, I think you, you can also say that business owners are treated as being more trustworthy if you like because they will let you pay your own tax at the end of the year um, you know, whereas, yeah, if you're an employee, they take it off of you as you go. And the reason they do that is they know that if they get to the end of the year and give you a tax bill, you'll have spent it. Yeah. So they don't give you the option. So yeah. Not necessarily because I'm paying it in advance now, right? Only for half of it. And that's because they know that your profit is likely to go up year on year. That's so, nice of them. <laughs> so. I mean, please subscribe, it. everyone. <laughs> Stay, like, comment, <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, you know, if, say, for example, last year you've paid your tax and you've paid half as much again for this year, okay? So, effectively, you've paid by July, you'll have paid all of this year's tax up front. If all you do is break even this year and don't make any more than last year, there'll be no more tax to pay in January because yeah. you'll have paid it. Yeah. So, it's just so that when it goes uphill, you don't get hit with a big, massive chunk each year. You're yeah. sort of, it's smoothing it out a little yeah. bit. But the best thing is always to put the money away. And some people do it really simply and literally just put away the money at payday. So as the money comes in or once a month, they look at their business account. And if their business account has got £1,000 in it, they take £200 out and put it in a savings account for their tax. It could just be as simple as that. Yeah. Other people do things that are, are more complicated, you know. And I've been working through um, a system called Profit First. It's a book by Mike Michalowicz. He's an American, so it's quite a heavy-going book. But the idea is that when you're looking at your earnings or working out what you should charge for your service, you have to work backwards from what you want to earn first. You know, how many business owners do you know that they earn their money from their client and by the time they've paid for everything, they've got no money left to pay themselves? So they actually say, yeah, (laughs) to work backwards. So you Mm. think, you know, on this job that I'm doing, if I want to earn £400, what do I have to price this job at to make sure that when I've paid for all this stuff, I've still got £400 yeah. at the end. And, and a lot yeah. of people like to bottle you down, especially when you're self-employed. It's like, I've, I've become like the most amazing hustler because of my job, especially like the Chinese market. They're so good at hustling you down. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I feel like don't, I don't, I don't ever lower your rate. Yeah. Forever. Yeah. That's what I think. I don't know what you think Claire there are different things you can do and it depends on the type of business that you're in but no I agree with you in principle you shouldn't be discounting necessarily there might be a few situations you might choose to so an existing client discount we offer one it's quite common it's a lot less effort for me to onboard or use a new client than to have to onboard someone new yeah so somebody who's already a client is likely to get about 15% off moving forward on other things because it's representing the work and the time that's being saved but generally no when people approach me and they want to work with me if they can't afford to work with me one-to-one then I'm going to signpost them to one of my group programs or to my free Facebook group or my membership, which is coming up soon, because I've got different ways of working with people at different price points so that, you know, if they want less impact or or they've got less money to invest, they can still make a difference. But I'm not then cheapening what I do and what I offer, because I think as a business owner, it takes you quite a long time to actually get that confidence to think, no, actually, I'm good at what I do and I'm not going to cut it down. Because not everybody's going to want to work with me. Not everybody is going to work with anybody. I mean, to be fair, I couldn't work with everybody in the world. If they wanted to work with me anyway, I'd run out of time. But the people who are attracted to me will like what it is I do and how I do it. And 
they then need to know that to work with me if they want my one-to-one time that does come at a premium yeah i did i definitely learned doing what i do that if someone comes with me and they're like really sorry i've just got not i can't afford that can you do it for this price i'll be like no but i can give you x y and z instead yes exactly an alternative yeah and you look at the amount of time and effort you're investing and the thing is over time you tend to move from an hourly paid model to a transformation type model where, you know, rather than someone saying, well, I'm paying for three hours of your time, they're paying for you to take them from point A to point B. And because of that, it doesn't necessarily equate to an hourly rate because there will be some clients, you know, if you're charging a fixed amount for a coaching package, there'll be some clients who need a lot of input during that three month period and others actually that get the light bulb moments quite quickly and don't. It doesn't mean that you think, well, I've spent less time with them. Actually, I should charge them less because the value to them is still great and I think we really underestimate the value we have because the stuff that is really easy and obvious for me probably isn't for you and I couldn't do your job so you know we've all got to value each other I feel like most people lie as well when they say I haven't got this much budget I'm like yes you do (laughs) you just paid my friend double that like they are they're most likely calling your bluff I think it's really funny I saw a a t-shirt advertised um it popped up on my Facebook feed in one of these suggested ads and it just bright yellow t-shirt and it said on the front I'm sorry I was late I didn't want to come (laughs) (laughs) I I like the one where you've got there's like a man with a Starbucks and it's like sorry I'm really late and you've got a Starbucks in your hand (laughs) the thing is I just look at it and think it's about priorities and it is the things that you're late for it's because something else was more important than that thing and it's the same with how you spend your money you know, if I turn around to you and said, right, I can offer you this amazing package and you need to come up with £3,000 to do it. And you say, oh, no, I can't. I can't afford that. that. You think, well, OK, fair enough. If I turn around to you and said, well, actually, if you don't come up with this £3,000 by midnight, then some random member of your family is going to drop dead. You're going to find the money. <laughs> it's about, I know it's a bit of an extreme example, but it's about priorities. If you really saw the value in it and you really wanted it, you would find the money to do it. It's, it's not about price it's about what you think you're getting and the value and yeah you- yeah I was hit by a massive not a massive money problem but I was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> so like you were high <laughs> so I, I deal with a lot of currencies and it's really bizarre that recently I was like why have I all of a sudden getting paid loads in euros there's like a pattern in the different currencies that I've worked in. So this influx in euros, I was like, it's the exchange rate, isn't it? Mm. The, because yep. of Brexit, it's dropped, so it's cheaper for people to work with me than people in Europe, because the pound's less, is that right? Effectively, yeah. Which, like, <laughs> which means actually for you, if you've agreed a contract where you're being paid in euros, it's great for you, Yeah. because actually that euro is worth more. So, um, And the same with things in dollars. Again, just be careful whether you're actually billing them in pounds or billing them in dollars. This is exactly the point that I got to. I had no idea. I was like, because I was agreeing, for instance, I was agreeing jobs in dollars, yeah. it was coming into my bank account a lot less. And I was like... Yeah, I paid for the exchange rate and the pound is weak at the moment, so I'm getting even less. And I booked that job two months ago. Yep. And when I typed it into Google two months ago, it was all right. It was a lot higher than what it is now. So I've learned oh, to I've learned to deal in Great British pounds, is that right? Yep. So if the exchange rate happens, yep. then they have to deal with it there and not mine. Yep. Which can work in your favour or against it, but at least you know what you're going to get paid. Massive light bulb moment. <laughs> <laughs> so things you can do with that is, there's a couple of things to look at. One is, 
whether your bank is actually or what they're charging you for taking foreign currency payments because some banks don't charge and some charge less do you know what i don't know if it's a running theme with all companies but i find foreign when you're dealing with businesses in different countries it's paypal now like I just get paid in PayPal. A lot of them do because it's less complicated. I mean, if you want to receive foreign currency payments, you can do that. They do. And I, but it's a bank charge. It's I part of your business. I say before I do the business deal, if you use PayPal, cover the PayPal fees. No, you're squinting. <laughs> wrong. Wrong, wrong. Okay, if it's outside the UK, you might just be about be all right. But within the UK, for about eighteen months now, you are not allowed to charge people more or less depending on how they choose to pay you. Okay, there's a big thing that came in. So in the old days, you know when you used to go into a shop and they used to say, if you want to pay by credit card, we're going to charge you an extra 1% or an extra pound or whatever. They're not allowed to do that anymore. It stopped in January, not this year, but the previous year. So if someone wants to pay for a holiday or a trip or whatever it is they're paying for, if it's £100, it's £100 whether you pay in cash, you pay by card, you pay contactless or however you pay. The same goes for your invoices. So what you can do is factor that into your price. So you can think to yourself, okay, I want to make £600 profit on this. So assuming they pay by PayPal and they're going to take the fees, what would I need to charge on the top end? And you charge the right fee on the top end, but you'd still charge them that fee if they decided to put the money straight into your account by bank transfer. And then you'd gain a bit of extra margin. But you can't explicitly charge more. I hated being paid by PayPal for that reason. I always used to stay... Just put your cost up. I'd always used to stay pay by bank transfer. But a lot of brands in the foreign countries were like, we want to do PayPal. So I was like, well, if you want to do PayPal, pay the charge. But I... You're saying I yeah. can't do that, can I? You can't insist that they pay the charge. So if they say that, I need to be like, okay, I charge X, yeah. Y, Z. So if you think more. a lot of people are going to pay by PayPal, you'd be better just to work out what your average PayPal charge is and put all of your prices up. Yeah, because like uh, six months ago, I was like, hang on, exchange rate, the pounds dropped, and my PayPal fee. I was like, what? I'm ne- doing it for next to nothing. And that's where you need to work out what you want to earn first yeah. and work backwards through your costs. Because otherwise, exactly, you do that, and then you realise that this particular job, you need to buy specific bit of kit or you need to pray out for more travel and then suddenly you look at it and think do you know what? I've done that for like 90 quid why would I do that yeah mm. time time for money it's really so important so, so, so important. can I interrupt yes you can and yeah. um, we've talked about uh ISAs yep we've talked about savings accounts mm-hmm. my dad always says to me put your money into this bond or this thing that may or may not make you money yeah. You know, like through NatWest Bank or whatever bank. A lot of old people bank. talk about bonds. What the hell is it? So, um, <laughs> <laughs> bonds are, in some ways, they're quite old-fashioned. And in yeah, our parents and grandparents' generation, they were really, really common. So, effectively, a bond is um, you pay the money in, and over a period of time, they will guarantee to pay you an X amount of interest or, or costs over it. So, when you put in your £100, you know in five years' time, they tell you exactly how much that will be worth. The advantage to the company that's issuing the bond is it's a way of getting people to invest in their business and they haven't got to give you the money back for five years because you're locked in for five years or ten years or whatever it is. And it gives me anxiety. I get commitment phobia. <laughs> the thing also, about bonds is they are very, typically are they are very stable, but because of what's happened over the last ten years in the finance markets, you'd be hard pushed to get a bond that's actually going to pay decent money. The post office still do some for pensioners and things like that. But yeah. most bonds now, they don't pay good enough interest that you'd want to tie your money up. Why would you tie your money up for five years and only earn 2% on it? Before we wrap up, I was thinking it'd be fun to talk through like a couple of rules we have around money. Like it could be like any kind of like thing that you have like 
sort of like maybe like a moral or like an idea that you have around money. So I'll go first. So So one of my rules that I have is never lend and never borrow. So like, you know, like you'll sometimes you've got that friend that never has any money and they're like, oh, can I uh, borrow 50 quid? And then you lend them the, the 50 quid and then you never get that 50 quid back. I always think, never lend any money but never ask to borrow any money i'm really funny about that online i have yeah. to go halves on everything like i'm really funny yeah that's one of your rules isn't it you, yeah. you never let anyone pay for you yeah never. see i will let someone pay for me if it's a good friend and, and then, then you we pay swap next it time. back yeah but it if someone comes and asks right? for money so yeah. say if Ab- abby bought me a cup of tea this morning i won't forget about that i it'll knew be, that would mess you it, up it will, <laughs> <laughs> it will eat away at me but to the point where i probably might transfer a one pound 35 whatever it is. <laughs> It really freaks me out. And my other rule was never give discounts mm-hmm. or barter. But I know we've had that conversation yeah. where you're like, well, actually. But I think that was a bit different because you d- pre-decide that. Yeah, exactly. Rather than someone trying to hustle you down. Yeah. That's what yeah. I'm talking about. If someone yeah. tries to hustle you down, be strong. Um, and don't be too cheap. Like, if you're a new business owner, it can be quite tempting to be a lot cheaper than your competition yep. but that actually makes people sometimes think oh wait a second do they know what they're doing like mm. if something's too cheap do you want to pay for that you'd be like oh i'd rather just pay a bit more and have someone good yeah 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 i mean i think that in business you differentiate yourself on the service you offer not on the price that you charge yeah and if you attract customers who are only looking for the cheap option they will be a pain in the backside yeah, of course. because they're the ones that are going to want to cut the corner and it's well can you email it to me and not post it to me and save the money on the stamp and you know they're the people that are going to be penny pitching and they're going to be aggravating you want people who've bought into the vision of what you're creating so that actually they think yeah no, actually that's good value i want someone who's good mm. in whatever field you're in you know be good at the thing you're good at yes yeah, st- and believe that y- what you're selling is good yeah good. and my final one <laughs> Oh, you've got Which, five. Final five. one, final one. <laughs> <laughs> My final one isn't really a rule. It's more like a thought that I've had of when someone is working in a job where you're not getting paid very much money like, and you're stressed. If you're in a job where you're, let's say, I assume that someone who works in Nando's isn't earning tons and tons of money. So say you're working in Nando's and you're getting a lot of abuse from customers. Just ask yourself, do I get paid enough to give a shit? and if you don't stop worrying about it yeah like very very true because I sometimes think that I don't get paid enough to give a shit about this particular problem sorry do I have to come up with five you don't have to come up with five I didn't know were there there five I think there's five (laughs) my main one is I feel like if you are have a normal job and you have a nine to five and you get your paycheck at the end of the month don't think that that is your only what you you can earn there are so many ways now that you can make extra money even having selling stuff on ebay you can make the digital world has made it so easy to make money from your what's it called skills Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what's it called when you've got talent that's the one (laughs) (laughs) so everyone has some sort of talent whether it's like you finance you can find your talent and make money off it the digital space has made made that easy so if you hate your job if you don't think you can earn much money start working at something that you think might oh top tips so um and it's it's not really the technical stuff i suppose it's about prioritizing your money okay so if there is something that you want to be spending your money on whether that is having fun saving for a holiday or whatever it is 
make a choice to spend that money on that and put it away at payday pay it first so rather than getting to the end of the month think if i've got any money left i'm going to put that away to my dream round the world trip if you want to do a round the world trip and you've worked out how much it's going to cost and you need to put 100 pound away a month put 100 pound a month away everything else will adjust when you look at your bank account and you think there's not a lot in it you'll get one less coffee or one less takeaway or you'll walk rather than getting an uber and you'll find a way but if you wait till the end of the month you'll look at it and the money won't be there there's a book called the richest man in babylon have you read it that's that theory isn't it that you live by your meat like how much you have so if you just take a little bit away you still live in your means and i mean i am very careful about what i spend and i i purposely don't talk about saving money or clipping coupons or being frugal or anything like that because i have a good lifestyle but I choose how I spend my money. So it means I don't waste it on stuff I don't need or I don't use. So if you're paying for a gym membership, that's great if you go. If you don't go, stop kidding yourself. Save the 60 quid a month and put it towards something you really want to spend it on. Yeah. You know, so I, when you wanted to buy some alpacas, yes, you <laughs> every month you were like, the alpaca fund do it at the start of the month <laughs> exactly. and now you've got five alpacas well, we have. we've got five alpacas we had to move I love an alpaca they're so soft they are they? they're just absolutely adorable and it was something that we dreamed of doing and yeah we had to organize our money to get there did you sell the fur we will be selling the yeah we're gonna Same have it made into fleece yeah exactly well my husband <laughs> is already selling the alpaca manure because you get good money yeah, for that and do you yeah it's dead so easy you just need to think outside the box these days what i've learned as well from my job because um, I get a lot of things gifted to me, very, very lucky to be in that situation. But you suddenly realise that materialistic things only you only want them because you can't have them. As soon as they don't have a price and just pop through your door, they become meaningless. So actually, do you actually really want this stuff that you can't have? Like I don't know. Like, and this is it, and it's all about what is important for you. So when you're prioritizing your spending, it might be that personal development is the biggest thing for you and you like to do courses and training and go on workshops and masterminds and adventures. And if that's the case, then you need to put money away for that, not just wait till the end of the month and hope that there's money there. And that way, it means that when you're offered an amazing opportunity and it has got a decent price tag because it's a decent package you want to do, you think, actually, I've got the money for that. I mean, if I was going to pick one set of money to prioritize each month after you've sorted out your emergency fund and all that stuff it would be fun stuff okay yeah. when i get paid each month i put 10 percent in an account which is for fun stuff oh. that is money that i will use if i go and get my hair and nails done or if i go out for a meal go a weekend away with the girls or whatever i want to do but it means i don't then look in my bills account and think oh can i afford a takeaway oh i shouldn't really oh there's not really and i know i can go and spend it which actually you've got to enjoy the quality of life Mm. And not feel guilty as well when you spend money. And it doesn't have to be 10%. It can be whatever works for you. And that's the point, is to actually think, what do I want to spend my money on and make a choice rather than just ending up frittering it on stuff you don't need to impress people you don't like? Yeah. So if someone's listening and they think, like, oh, I want to work with Claire because it sounds easier than doing this myself, which is kind of the boat that I'm in, how does a person get hold of you? So there's a couple of options. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am also on Facebook. If you look for Peace Together Money Coaching, you'll find me there. Yeah. And I've got a website, which is um, peacetogether.co.uk. So look me up. Thank you for listening today, everyone. If you've enjoyed our conversation, please let us know and leave us a five-star review. Also, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss out on an episode. We'd also love it if you could follow us on social media at grownup underscore official. Bye.